Yeah. Uh. We gotta, gotta rise up. Rise up. Yo. Go for broke, give everything, better yet, give your all. They don't wanna see you win, nevertheless, show evolve. Wanna see my demise, you can be in for a surprise. Cause the sun ain't about to set, now it's about to rise. Come hell or high water, we gotta rise up. Despite the storms of life, man, we gotta rise. To this week's episode of the Stage is Mind podcast. I'm your host, Terrence Hill. This week, it is my privilege and honor to bring to the program attorney Sabrina Martin. Ms. Martin, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you could take time out to be on the program. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm an attorney, and um, most people know me because I'm an advocate for children and families, and, and that's something that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Uh, tell me about your time as a, a family law attorney and your uh, what, what was it about um, the uh, process to make you want to become an advocate for children as well? Well, I knew first when I went into law school, I had no doubt when I went in that I was going to advocate and be a defender of children's rights. And so I knew all along that that's what I was going to do. And I came from a broken home myself. So I had that passion going in and, and I knew that I wanted to put children first. And unfortunately, um, There are things that, and families like drugs and violence and different things that families, you know, you know, put before children. And it's very unfortunate, but I see that every day and those take a back seat to children. And um, I have just fought for children in the courtroom. I fought for children outside the courtroom. And I want to continue to do that because you know, these children are our future and we've got to continue to make a better life for them and be passionate about that. And so that's it's always something from before law school, you know, I, I was a foster parent for 10 years and that kind of just, just bore in and developed that passion for me. And I knew that I had to make a difference. And in order to do that, I had to go to law school to do that. Yeah. Um, how many years have you been practicing law? I've been out um, for close to 10 years now. And, um, and uh, this is all I've done is family and children. So um, I've, I've maintained that and built my practice on helping children and families. And so it's, it's just a passion for me. And it's something that I love. And, and everyone always says, oh, don't you get tired of that? Is that something that you take home? Yeah, I take it home because I love it. It's mm-hmm. something that if you don't love it, you shouldn't do it. And you can't do a good job at something if you don't really love it and you're not passionate about it. Right. And it's it's just part of me. And it's something that, you know, I believe that um, I should do, that I'm here and I was just meant to do this. God's led me down this path. And, you know, I didn't know that he was leading me down this path that he has and everything that he's done, you know, has led me up to this. Right. 
Uh, when did you develop a passion for law? When did you kind of get that tug that, hey, this is something that I, I want to do? Well, as I said, I came from a bad situation and, mm. and you know, abusing children and um, being victims, you know, it was illegal then. It's illegal mm. now. Um, it, it, and it's so, but, and as a foster parent for 10 years, I got to see the, the things that went on in the system. You know, I got to see some of the good things and I got to see some of the bad things and I got to see where the breakdowns were. But just as a foster parent, your hands are tied. You know, you, I had no legal um, training. I had nothing that where I could actually get in and make more of a difference. Yeah, I was helping the children, but I wanted to do more. And growing up in a bad situation and then helping these children, I knew that in order for me to do more, I had to go to law school. And instead of sitting there and saying, here's a problem, there's a problem and complaining about it, I wanted to be part of that solution. So I decided to go to law school and become part of the solution to make a difference. And so that's when um, my daughter, I adopted her. She was my last uh, foster child. Um, when I adopted her, I quit fostering and went to law school. Mm. And um, since then, you know, I, continue to do my volunteer work and my passion still for children right. but I focused you know more um in my career wise as an illegal aspect by going to law school but never wavered on making sure the community that I lived in and that the community that I was involved in it and that I stayed in touch with it and all the children that you know that there is always a need there and that I was able to, you know, give back. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your time as an adopted parent. Uh, that's definitely something that's a calling and and what tugged on your heart to uh, go down that road. Um, like you said, I, I just felt like it was a calling. You know, I prayed about it. I felt like, you know, God had led me there to do that. And <clears throat> I prayed and you know, I felt that um, I was, that's where my heart had led me and that the Lord had led me. And so that I did that. And like I said, you know, I, I didn't realize he was leading me down this road, mm. but, you know, I did that and I poured my heart into it. I loved each and every one of those kids, you know. Some went back to their parents, you know, and I loved their parents too, whether they were able to go back to their parents or they weren't, or if they were able to go to a family member. Um, it was about um, loving their parents too, you know, to help their parents heal because um, their parents, you know, there was, there was heartache and there was a lot of um, pain there, you know, you know, whether it was from drugs or, you know, domestic violence or whatever that situation was, that those those parents needed healing as well. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize that um, these parents, how hard it is and that, you know, the things that they go through, the drugs and things like that, that they are just so consuming and um, that, 
that we have to have a forgiving heart, not mm-hmm. that kids can't, um, they deserve um, stability and consistency, and they may not be able to go back to those um, parents. And that's sad that those parents need to be able to, um, even if they can't reunite with their children, they need to be able to heal and so that they can be productive members of society as well. Right. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit also, um, what are some of the things that lead to a child ending up in, in foster home? And then over your years of being involved, um, how many, you know, have you seen parents be able to kind of straighten out their lives and maybe if there was addiction or if there was growing up, the wife was in like a domestic you know, circumstance, she was able to get out of that and, you know, reunite with her children? Sure, sure. I've seen both. Um, Sometimes that they're not able to get back together. Um, The addiction, you know, sometimes proves to be too much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes that's really sad. Um, And sometimes they're able to recognize that and they want their children to be able to have that stable um, environment and they know that they just can't provide that. Um, And and then I've seen some amazing, wonderful stories where those parents are work really hard. Not that the other ones didn't work really hard, but they just just weren't in that place. Mm -hmm. Um, And they weren't ready for recovery, but they were able to recover and they were able to get back on their feet. And, and I will say that a lot of people don't realize this, but no matter what those parents have done to those children, those children are always gonna love their parents. Mm-hmm. I, I've always seen that, you know, the, the parents may have abused the children and they think, well, those kids, you know, why would they want to go back to them? But they always love them, their mm-hmm. parents. And so that's hard for a lot of people to understand, but um, we have to um, be really understanding to know that, you know, a lot of times that that's all those kids ever known. Mm-hmm. And that's the only kind of love or acceptance they have ever known. And so they want to go back to that or they're used to that. So right. their kind of love is not what we would expect. And so um, it's different for them. And, you know, they, they have a different kind of reality than what a normal child would grow up in. Not that they're not normal, but mm. that their environment is, they just didn't grow up in a healthy, loving, nurturing environment. And, um, and that's my goal is to, to try and help all these kids have a stable environment, to grow up in healthy, nurturing, loving environments. And if we can um, get that education out there and provide resources so that we can stop some of this cycle and help these uh, parents that are struggling, right. we can stop some of this so that these kids can grow up in in a healthy nurturing environment yeah it almost seems like you're almost like answering my uh next question but what do you enjoy most about being a attorney well um 
I, I do get to do uh, work with kids. And mm. of course, I love that um, as a certified child advocate or a guardian at Lydum. Um, I love working with kids. But, you know, when a husband or a wife come in and they want to come in and, and they can't speak to each other and he doesn't care about her, whether she lives or dies, as long as he gets everything and she doesn't care as long as, you know, they're just at complete odds. They just are at each other's throats. But when I can come and kind of get to them and, and say, look, you guys have kids. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you're hurting your kids doing this. And when I can get to them mm -hmm. and kind of shake them or, you know, make them realize that, you know, you have a limited amount of time with these kids and you may not like your spouse anymore, but you two have still have kids to raise and you need to put those differences aside just enough for these kids because you've got these kids and they are wonderful and amazing and you made them together. And so the two of you were able to do something pretty spectacular at one point in time. And so if you can remember that and just get to a point where you can focus on these kids for a minute, and we can come to an agreement about the kids that all this other stuff is just little stuff. It can all be replaced, but these kids can't. Right. And if I can get them to agree on that, then all the other little stuff just kind of falls into place. And then we can come to an agreement and we can usually settle everything. We don't even need to go to court. We can settle it all out of court if we can come to terms on that. And mm -hmm. then I feel like, I won because I've settled and the kids are going to win in the end because mom and dad aren't going to go around talking bad about each other, at least not in front of the kids. That's my fault. Not in front of the kids. You may say to your sister or to your brother or something in private, and I don't care about that, but let's not just put the kids in the middle. Right. Yeah. Um, so as a what's a typical month like for you as an attorney like um like your your day-to-day -day, i mean what are you normally doing well it just depends you know the court schedule's all different so i whatever the judge sets the calendar that kind of varies but mm -hmm. do mediations and sometimes it's juvenile court um sometimes it's the domestic relations which is the divorce and custody so um it kind of varies, you know, that I have appointments, you know, to talk to clients in the office. So it varies. Right. Okay. Uh, our platform, you know, we go beyond the Montgomery uh, area because a lot of people, you know, watch it in different parts of the country and even overseas. But tell the audiences watching uh, about your time as a member of the Alabama Chamber of Commerce and also uh, the downtown business Association of Montgomery, Alabama? Well, I think those associations and the involvement are those are critical and that they're so important because they bring businesses into the river region. Mm. 
And anytime that we can bring businesses in, that's work. And when we have working households, that decreases poverty. And as long as we can keep poverty out, because when there's poverty, then we know that that causes all kinds of a triple effect of quadruple effect, if you want, of all kinds of other problems. You know, there's violence, people turn to the street, there's domestic abuse, there's child abuse, there's child neglect. Mm. Poverty causes all kinds of issues. So we can bring jobs in, bring good paying jobs, keep people working. We can keep poverty out. We can kind of combat all these other problems. So, so anytime that I can be involved in that and I can keep involvement in that to keep people working and keep good paying jobs. Yeah. Um, what, what was your time like in, in law school and what are some nuggets that you learned in college that's helping you to this day? Well, um, I went to Faulkner Law School, and so when I was there, I was able to become plugged in to all of the public interest and the, all the volunteer networks and all the things that um, today that I'm still involved in. And so I was able to get out in the community, do volunteer work. I um, was able to help with foster children on the board with DHR. So I was there and then um, I was down as a volunteer attorney or was an attorney yet in law school, but I did the legal services and I was, um, down at um, the clinic volunteering. I did the elder law clinic and the domestic violence. Um, anything that I could do that the law school was associated with helped me learn um, more about giving back to the community. And then I, I just maintained all that. Right. Sunshine Center all those things. Um. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what have you seen as a advocate for victims of domestic violence in your time as an active volunteer with women of refined goal and the domestic violence task force? Well, I've learned that education is key. Um, there's a lot of lack of, of real education on on what is domestic violence, um, how does it play a role, how is it involved, what resources are out there, and how can they get help. Um, a lot of people don't realize um, things that are, are even um, signs or dangers that, that they should be aware of. My daughter, um, who's 13 years old, um, just lost uh, a friend of hers that a classmate this year um, and she it really hit the school hard and it turned out that it was another boy who they were in sort of relationship 
And my daughter asked me a lot of questions and she, she just didn't understand. And so we had this domestic violence conversation about how, you know, if a boy keeps pressuring you and mm-hmm. wanting to do something or, you know, keeps constantly contacting you. And so I had to explain because um, even our schools, um, we're seeing it, you know, teenagers in the school need to learn, you know, that domestic violence is real and that, you know, they need to be able to reach out to someone and say, hey, this is going on. And it's so sad, you know, um, she was a fellow cheerleader, so she didn't even know that this situation was going on. So I don't know if um, this was kept you know, some of this kept secret, which is the case a lot of times when someone is involved in domestic violence, you keep a lot of stuff um, to yourself because um, there's a certain shame factor to it and you should not be ashamed of it. And, you know, you should be able to talk to someone and reach out Mm -hmm. before it's too late. Right. Um, How can programs help our youth. I mean, uh, what, what are some things that can help, uh, you know, children as far as growing up in, in homes? Uh, have you seen like maybe sports or other organized uh, programs be uh, beneficial? Well, anytime that we can get the community involved in our children is absolutely essential. Um, one of the programs that I'm involved in is Mentors of Montgomery and um, I'll use it for an example. Sure. We take um, any children, um, boys or girls. Right now, um, we have men mentoring boys that are um, between the ages of 12 to 13, all the way through high school. And so they get matched up with a young young man, gets matched up with a male mentor, and they stay with that same mentor all the way through high school till they graduate. So they're matched up and they can talk to them, the school counselor, the school teacher. um, Some of them are single household parents. And let's face it, um, mom may be working or dad for that fact, may be working two jobs. So they got to put food on the table. They got, I mean, it's just real life stuff here. So, you know, they may be at home part of the time by themselves. Or they may, you know, need that extra support system. Maybe grandma and grandpa aren't available or that extended family. So that mentor is what comes in as key. They're a positive role model. They have clean background checks. So they can take them to go play basketball or they can take them out to maybe go to a game or Six Flags, something that they may not be able to do financially because their family can't afford it. Mm. But the mentors, you know, have resources available to them to help them with these financial things to help them gain experiences that they might not then have been able to otherwise. And so they meet every, at least once a month, but they have access to their mentor 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they just keep in contact, make sure they're doing good you know, stay out of trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, the teacher, if they see something going on in school, they can reach out to them if they can't reach their parents. And 
this is someone that is going to keep through and make sure that they graduate, whether they go into college, a trade school, a military, they're going to see that they are successful all the way through until they get into to whatever mm-hmm. they're going to do as an adult. That's awesome. Um, what is your vision uh, running for a uh, circuit judge? So I want to see that families are put first, children are put first, and that the court docket moves along, that children and families aren't waiting this ridiculous amount of time to have their cases heard, that everything needs to be heard in a timely manner. And whenever these cases are put on hold, then this is a family that their life is put on hold. This child, this child's life is put on hold. They're put in limbo. So if it's a child that's in the foster care system, they're on limbo. They may be in a detention center or um, in an institution and they're stuck there in limbo while that case sets there. And that's just not right. These need to move quickly so that families can get resolution and they can move on. And we need to keep that moving as quickly as possible because in the meantime, all these families are in turmoil and that's not, that's not healthy. So just so I, I understand you clearly and those who watch and may not understand how the process works. So when there's cases of maybe families wanting to reunite with their children, you're saying that those cases are held up for months? Uh, years. Some years. Wow. held up for years. Wow. Uh, what about a family that can't necessarily afford a, a attorney? Are there resources available for them to um, try to do something? There are. Um, in the juvenile um, delinquency and in the... Um, dependency uh, cases, you can get an attorney appointed to you. And then in the um, family law, you can ask for um, resources from the Volunteer Lawyers Association. Okay. Now, your years as as an attorney and also being a a foster parent, um, what impact do you want to bring to the judicial system? Like, what, what impact do you think you can bring to it? Well, I think that not only do you have to have the legal knowledge, but you need to have experience. You need to know where these families and children have been, where they're coming from, what they're living through. And so I think that makes all the difference, not just to sit there and say, I, I, oh, I understand, because you can't understand unless you've been there and lived that. And I think that you have to have a deep compassion for what they're going through and understand. And you can't truly understand that unless you, you've been there through that. Yeah. Um, I know people get tired sometimes of the ad campaigns and, and just the whole news cycle as the politics is in people's faces 24 seven, but how important is our involvement in the political process? is very important because family court, juvenile court, this is something that's going to could potentially touch everybody. Everybody's got a family, children, 
this knows somebody who's ever been at least divorced or has a child that's gone through something. So this affects everybody. And so, or you know somebody that this affects and you need somebody in the judicial system that's going to understand and truly understand the system, both from a personal and firsthand experience and from a legal experience to know what to do. Right. And you can only do that by making sure you have the right people in there. Yes. And how, how important is um, solidarity within our communities? I mean, I know there's so much stuff that goes on right now that has people divided left and right, but uh, how important is um, unity? Well, it all starts with children. So if we can't come together on what's best for our children and our youth, then they're our future. Right. And so I think putting together my desires, your desires, anyone, um, like I talked about when the two parents came in, you know, and putting together their own mm-hmm. selfish interests just long enough for the, the sake of the children right. and putting them first, um, then we have the true benefit and the true solidarity yeah. of our society. Okay. Well, I do this in every part of the show. I just kind of throw a couple of rapid fire questions at you. It gives the audience a chance to know a little bit more about you and your personality. Um, what is your favorite food? Chips and salsa. Really? Chips and okay, okay. And um, when you're not practicing law, and what's that? Is that two foods? Oh yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. That's no. one food. You got to eat it together. Right, right. Uh, when you're not practicing law and you're, you know, reading books and studying cases, what do you like to do for fun? Volunteer. Okay. Uh, you have a favorite TV show? Uh, Flip This House. Okay. Yeah. My wife watches that constantly. <laughs> uh, so I, I see that all the time. <laughs> you have a favorite uh, actor and actress? Um, Jim Carrey. Okay. Uh-huh. Actress? Um, I don't know who that would be. Um, okay. Favorite recording artist? Pass. Okay. A favorite <laughs> place? I look with the everything. Everything? Okay. Okay. Uh, what are your favorite places to travel to? Um, well, I want to go to Italy like old world Italy, but I've never been. So that's not like travel past okay. tense. That's like future tense. Right. Okay. Auburn or Alabama? Easy one, Alabama. Alabama. So I know you're disappointed last weekend, right? Oh, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, hot or cold? No. Hot. Hot, no. okay. Okay. Uh, who has inspired you? My grandparents. Okay, okay. And what do you want your legacy to be? That um, I've made a difference in the lives of children for the betterment. And I've made a chance to change their future so that they can have a better future. That's awesome. 
Uh, anyone that's interested in learning more about you or want to, um, you know, link up with you as far as your, your services go, how can they reach you? Well, um, my office is at MontgomeryDivorceLaw.com, but you can learn more about me at SabrinaForJudge.com. Okay. All right. Miss me up on Facebook. Okay. Awesome. Well, well, Sabrina, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the podcast today. Uh, definitely uh, being a friend of yours on Facebook. I definitely always see you out with, with, you know, within the community. You're always at events and things like that. So that's my last question for you. Um, what do you love about like going out and meeting new faces and, and just uh, volunteering your time? Because it seems like you do this a lot. The people. I love the people. I I enjoy working with the people. I'm I'm just I'm just yeah. a people person. That's what I was like, hey, we do this in person. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, awesome. Well, I thank you so much for your time. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Stages Mind Podcast. We see you next time. Take care. I want to thank everybody for their support. Those of you that have been watching all of our podcasts. If you're interested in donating to the Stages Mind podcast, you can send that two ways via PayPal or Cash App. Our Cash App is Terry from the A and our PayPal is double ETV 101. Support this machine today to help us continue to do what we're doing. Also, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the Stages Mind podcast, email me today at double ETV at yahoo.com or call 334-498-5394. Thank you very much. I want to thank you for tuning in to today's program. Be sure to hit that like, subscribe, and notification bell for all things pertaining to the Stages Mind podcast. Until next time, take care. Go for broke, give everything, better yet, give your all. They don't want to see you win, nevertheless, show evolve. Want to see my demise, you can be in for a surprise, because the sun ain't about to set.